For another year now, I get to be in the studio bringing you a message leading us into the new year. Last week, Kevin and I laid out a fairly grim outlook on our expectations for 2024. And frankly, I hold fast to those predictions. But today, I want to bring in a bit of hope and perhaps shed light on exactly how we can find that hope, even in the darkest of circumstances. My name is Gary Humble, and this is the Freedom Matters Podcast. Well, hey, everyone, and uh, happy, happy new year to you. Um, Hope you had a wonderful holiday with uh, family and friends. Uh, I know we did. Uh, My wife and I went down to Louisiana to spend time with family. I don't know if all of you know that we are, my wife and I both are originally from South Louisiana. Uh, We actually, we met in high school. Um, I'm I'm very proud to say that my, my wife was the first girl I ever kissed. Uh, we met and began dating at 14 years old. So proud of that. So thankful for her. But we got to go home and spend a week with family, sort of in between Christmas and New Year. And you know, it was it was interesting going home because we we experienced something that we weren't really planning on. And it was also it's also interesting being in the midst of what's going on with my grandmother right now, because I believe roughly two weeks ago, we just went to another funeral, a family that's close to us uh, that lost a baby in childbirth. And currently, my grandmother, who's 88, she's in her last days. Uh, we've brought hospice in, and her body is beginning to shut down. And I'm, I'm very thankful to have gotten to spend some of those final moments with her. You know, as of this recording, uh, she hasn't passed away yet but but we we certainly feel as though we are with her in her very last moments and so you know it's 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 been an interesting dichotomy personally uh, because within the span of two weeks I'm at a grave site spending time with with friends people that I'm close to grieving the loss of a baby that dialed in childbirth and I will tell you what was incredible about being in the midst of that family and being present in that moment is that while there was some grief present, there was so much hope. Um, that gravesite, including the family who had just lost a child, was so full of hope, gratefulness for all that God has done, thanksgiving, and faith um, for what God wants to do in the future. And to some degree, we're experiencing uh, that same thing with my grandmother there. I, I would describe what we're experiencing right now more of a peace um, and acceptance. And when I, when I look at those two situations, and I'm just, and I'm sort of setting the table for, I'm not, I'm not talking about death today, by the way, but <laughs> so I'm sort of setting the table for where I want to go. I, I want, I want to talk about hope because in these circumstances, even in the midst of some of the most agonizing grief you can think of, right? I mean, losing a child. You know, when when you're when you're passing away at 88, it's different. There's there's you expect more of a peace. There's more of an acceptance. There, or at, at least I should say, I would think for all of us, it's probably easier to accept death at 88. 
but but not necessarily so much for a child literally just coming out of the womb. And when you can find hope in that kind of situation, then you know you are finding hope from somewhere that is clearly outside of yourself, right? Some Somewhere beyond that which you can manufacture on your own. And of course, those of us who believe, we know that hope is Christ, that hope is God Almighty. And we can find that hope because we know, we know that we know that even in the midst of loss, even in the midst of tragedy, even in the midst of the darkest of circumstances, that God is in control. And so even as I think about, right, if, if I'm talking about hope, right, that, that's, what I'm, that's where I'm trying to go here. And I think about last week, Kevin and I really set some some grim and dark expectations for 2024. By the way, none of which I regret and 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 things that I still believe to this very day. I believe that we are very much in the midst of some hard times and that those hard times are going to get harder. Right? Not only here within our state and all of the things that we fight, but when you look around globally, I think wars will continue, talks of wars will continue, people will continue to die, there'll be new diseases, whether or not they be natural or most likely manufactured, or whatever those things are that we are to face, um, I believe we are in for a dark season. That doesn't mean, though, right, that we walk around with a bunch of droopy faces in the midst of hopelessness. What I want to talk about today is there is actually a great deal of hope and a lot that we are commanded to do even in the midst of what may look like very grim, dark circumstances around us. So, so how, do we, how do we do that, right? Um, so recently, in, during my, my visit uh, here in Louisiana, I had a family member. We were just sort of discussing, you know, not, we didn't really get into politics too much. <laughs> Right, I think everyone in my family is uh, very clear right at this point on where I stand. So we usually don't don't get into the political discourse too much uh, when I'm back home. But one family member said, "You know, it 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 just it doesn't matter. Jesus is coming back soon." And and I got to tell you that, like in my, I kept quiet in the moment, but in my mind, that really set me off because I see that sentiment, you know, throughout the church throughout our nation, it's a struggle for me to see a believer or someone who professes to be a believer and professes to have a, a faith in Christ and be active in the church and yet say, look around and say, ah, you know, there's really nothing we can do. Jesus is coming back soon. You know, what do you want me to do about it? Everything's just going to fall apart and get bad. And well, I, I, I've got no part in all of this. I, I can't control it. So what should I do? The problem that I have with that statement, right? is that that's not the command of the Lord. That's not the command of Jesus. That is not the kind of attitude that we find in Scripture. And so when I'm looking around us, right, and I'm looking at what seems to be hopeless situations, uh, things that, I'm, I'm looking at a wall, right? There's a wall in front of us. How do I, how do I bust through that wall? Or, or there's a mountain, it's too high, I can't climb it. What do we do, right? Well, we have hope and we persist and in our minds, we persist with an attitude that we will prevail. Why? I always go back to Luke uh, chapter 19, verse 13. And, and many of us have heard this in, in diff- different scenarios, right, taught very different ways. But Luke 19 contains the parable of the ten minus. 
And uh, Luke 19, verse 13 is where the the master is telling his servants, he's giving 10 of his servants 10 minas. They each get one mina, right? And he tells them, occupy until I come. Some translations say, do business until I come. Some translations say, engage in business until I come. And the idea was that he gave each of these 10 servants one mina. And I'm leaving, I'm coming back, what are you going to do with it? Well, of course, one servant turned that one mina into 10. Another turned that one mina into five. Uh, another, unfortunately, took his mina, hit it in a, in a, in a handkerchief, uh, and just gave it back to his master whenever he came back. And if, and if we all know the story, we know that that was a, a lazy and wicked servant. Why? Because he did nothing. Out of, out of fear of losing the one mina, out of fear of what his master may think of his work when he came back, he, he, he opted to just, it's, it's safe, right? It's a safe play to just wrap this thing in a handkerchief, hang on to it, and return it when he comes back. Because at least I didn't lose anything, right? But that's not how it, how it played out in the master's mind. Why? Why is that? Well, it's because he had a command. And I love those different translations, right? Occupy until I come, do business, engage in business. What should we take away from that command of the Lord? What, what, is, what is he putting on us? What is he requiring of us in that moment? Well, quite simply, to do something, right? The idea that a believer is simply to survey the land, look around to see the circumstances and think, you know what? We're in the end times. Things are getting bad. They're only going to get worse. We can't control it. Ah, I give up. I'm just waiting on Jesus. Well, I got, I got an answer for you. I know exactly how the Lord looks at that kind of attitude because he's telling us right here in Luke 19, you wicked and lazy servant. Wake up. We are called to do something. We are not only called, listen, we're not only called to hold the line, right? But we're called literally to take ground. In fact, some places in Scripture say not, not only to take ground, but to take back that which has been stolen from us, right? So we, we have a command to fight. We have a command to pursue. We have a command to build, to do something, to engage in business. We push, we persevere, we conquer. We not only mount defensives, uh, defenses, but we also put up opposition, right? We move forward with boldness and with courage. All right, so that's when, when we talk about the things that we see coming in 2024 and that, you know, things look dark, things look grim, please. Don't mishear me to say, ah, you know what, guys? Everything's just really bad, and there's nothing we can do about it. And hang on, it's going to be a bumpy ride. That's not the message at all. But the message is you need to understand what is happening around you. And therefore, if you are a believer, if you, if you live a life submitted to Christ, which I hope you do, as you look around at calamity, what is your role in it? Well, it's to occupy, it's to persist, it's to do something, it's to engage. So how should that look in government? I wanted to go back and read something. I, I wrote an article 
a few, and I, I did this, maybe, maybe I'll just make this a thing, right? Last time I did this a year ago, I, I read an article that I had previously written, but I think it's, I think it's poignant. I think it's something we need to make sure that we hear and that we soak in because this is how we need to look at the things around us. So last, uh, a few months ago, last year, on September 17th, I wrote an article, a commentary called A Constitution Wholly Dependent Upon the Virtue of Men to Preserve It. Uh, And of course, September 17th, this was Constitution Day. And, And the idea is, right, and again, I've said this several times as I've been out speaking, you know, the Constitution is just a piece of paper. It's, when someone says, well, you can't do that. It's against the Constitution. This is my constitutional right. They shouldn't be able to do that. It's in the Constitution. Well, you need to understand that the Constitution is just a piece of paper. All the Constitution really is is a set of guidelines that we all agree to by which what? We are responsible to enforce. And so the title of this commentary, A Constitution Wholly Dependent Upon the Virtue of Men to Preserve It, we need men and women elected into office that have the kind of fortitude, right, and the ability and the faith, dare I say, the kind of hope and faith required to apply the Constitution when necessary at all times without fail and to stand firm on the truths that we've all acknowledged in the Constitution. We must have men and women in place in leadership willing to engage on those issues. A piece of paper will not, will not suffice in and of itself. All right, so if you'll bear with me and give me a few moments, uh, I want to go ahead and read that commentary. Here it goes. On September 17th, we commemorate a pivotal moment in American history, the signing of the United States Constitution. It has served as the bedrock of our nation's governance for over two centuries and is a testament to the foresight and wisdom of its framers. Yet as we celebrate its enduring legacy, it is essential to reflect on a profound observation made by John Adams. Quote, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Close quote. At first glance, Adams' statement might seem perplexing. After all, isn't the Constitution a legal document designed to provide a framework for governance, irrespective of the moral or religious inclinations of its citizens? The framers of the Constitution were acutely aware that laws and institutions, no matter how well-crafted, could not by themselves guarantee justice, liberty, or prosperity. They recognized that the Constitution's efficacy would ultimately depend on the character and virtue of the American people. In other words, the Constitution is not just a set of rules. It is a social contract that requires good men to lead with wisdom, execute on the parameters set forth, ensuring that the liberty secured therein would not be threatened by a government seeking to expand its power beyond that which it has been given. Our nation is in crisis on multiple fronts, illegal immigration, globalism, inflation, weaponized federal agencies, centralized monetary policy, censorship, foreign enemies, a Marxist agenda, a failing education system, and the list goes on. Considering these seemingly insurmountable challenges, the importance of virtue and morality and leadership cannot be overstated. 
These qualities not only shape the character and decisions of leaders, but also influence the culture of those around them that will implement policies over the populace. The founders believed that a virtuous people would courageously defend the rights endowed by their creator and restored by the blood of patriots, but a fearful people would readily cede these rights in exchange for a fleeting sense of security. We saw this play out right in front of our eyes, beginning on March 2020. How is it that so many leaders at all levels of government missed what so many people around the world innately knew to be true? People have a right to work, and that work is essential. People have the liberty to move about freely and unrestricted. People have a right to bodily autonomy and make their own medical decisions. There's much more to say, of course, regarding the tyranny we all experienced for far too long, but these are certainly a few of the basic tenets. And these truths, while not necessarily spelled out in word for word in our Constitution, can easily be inferred and generally embody a sentiment of freedom that the American psyche has held central since our founding. Yet in a time of crisis, the great majority of those in leadership missed it. They caved to the mob. Why? Perhaps a lack of virtue. During times of crisis or uncertainty, moral leaders remain steadfast in their values, providing stability and guidance. Their commitment to doing what is right, even in challenging situations, bolsters the resilience of those around them. Even in the midst of immediate challenges, resilient leaders maintain a long-term perspective. Their moral foundation ensures that they consider the future implications of their decisions, avoiding myopic solutions that might provide temporary relief but lead to greater problems down the line. Resilience in crisis is not just about weathering the storm, but navigating through it with a compass of virtue and morality. Our Constitution was not only designed for this kind of leadership, but demands it. Yet we often find ourselves compromised by leadership that is either a lesser of two evils or simply one's lack of virtue is not as egregious as the other. And perhaps that is simply the human condition. But I believe it is more appropriate to say that the sense of morality has degraded significantly in our culture, and therefore our expectations of leadership have been significantly lowered. That being the case, where do you suppose that leaves us in terms of addressing and navigating the multitude of crises that lay before us? Is it too much to ask that men and women who seek positions of leadership and authority in our government are not thieves, liars, murderers, adulterers, drunkards, slanderers, fornicators, cheaters, abusers, or cowards? Has America truly slipped so far that our attitudes at the ballot box are such that we'll just take what we can get. I would submit to you that our moral decline is intentional. Those who have funded pop culture through the decades and now fuel the godless agenda that is upon our children know full well that a culture in moral decline will eventually fall to the rule of its enemies. The Constitution cannot save us from ourselves. The Constitution is not a self-executing instrument. In an era 
where societal norms and values are rapidly evolving, Adam's words serve as a timeless reminder. The Constitution's strength lies not just in its clauses and amendments, but in the moral commitment of the American people to uphold, enforce, and defend it. It is a living testament to the aspirations and values of a one nation under God. I think it's so critical right now, you know, coming into 2024, coming into a new year, that this is exactly where we sit in our mind, that this is where we find ourselves, right? This commentary, I, I would imagine, you know, I could I could read this at the beginning of 2024, 25, 26, 2030, 2035, and it will be just as applicable then as it is now. There is a challenge before us. It, it, I, I hope that by now, right, that people understand, that we all understand, even here in Tennessee, there are forces at play. Some local forces, many global forces, there is an agenda at play that seeks to destroy and undermine the life that I think most of us have come to expect as Americans. The things that we just want to do naturally, right? Ideas of personal liberty, individual liberty, the ability for us to educate and raise our family free from government intrusion, the ability for each family to generate wealth and hand that wealth down to generations of, of our own posterity, right? Those are things I think naturally every individual, no matter who you are, what culture you're from, even what nation you're from, I think we are born with those desires. Fortunately, for those of us here in America, we've set up a system that is devised in such a way that actually allows us to pursue what we used to call the American dream. Nonetheless, I think we find that dream quickly fleeting, right before our eyes. Why? Because we lack men of courage. We lack men of virtue. And look, what, is, what does that mean exactly? It means that leaders must do things despite what they may lose in the process. Why? We hold fast to what is true and we do what is right. And what do we do? We trust God with the outcome. But you know, everyone's maneuvering and moving this way to the right or to the left because they fear if they say this thing or that thing or do this thing or vote this way, that somehow they're going to lose their committee appointment. They're going to lose this this donor and such and such donor. I've got a I've got a great example for you, right? Uh, in my in my own world, in my in my Tennessee stands world, just recently, uh, and look, there are things that Trump says sometimes, and look, no matter if you're for or or not for. President Trump, we can all acknowledge there are things he says sometimes that we just wish, gosh, could you just not say that? (laughs) So anyway, um, and it goes both ways. Sometimes he says things you're like, thank God someone's saying it. Anyway, I I had on my personal Twitter feed, uh, I I said something about something President Trump said. Gosh, I wish he wouldn't have said that, whatever. And a guy who had just signed up two months ago 
uh, to donate $400 a month to Tennessee Stands. By the way, which is nothing to sneeze at. That's a that's a significant donor. We we have some donors that that give very generously. I, I think everyone gives generously. Everyone gives out of what they can. But uh, you know, two months prior, someone had signed up. They were really excited about what we do. Really appreciated all the things that we do here at Tennessee Stands, and we're giving $400 a month. Um, and because of this one tweet, two months later. He says, hey, I'm not going to take any Trump bashing, and he withdraws his donation. I, I use that as an example to say this. Well, so what am I supposed to do at that point? Do, do you see where I'm going with this? What, what does someone do? What does a politician do? What does the leader of an organization do, right? If everything you say, if everything you do now has to be calculated based on what someone else might do or not do or how they may react. The, the point is, I cannot run an organization and I cannot pursue that which I believe to be right if I'm weighing every decision I make based on whether someone likes me or not or whether someone is continuing to donate to Tennessee stands or not. This is precisely where we get ourselves into trouble. So, so what, what does one do in that situation? Well, here's what you do. You trust God. I I can only do what I feel is the right thing to do. Uh, I can only do what I feel is what what we collectively as a board feels is the right thing to do. I can only do that which I can lead my team in such a way where we can accomplish the things that we feel the Lord has in front of us. We know that at that moment, not everyone is going to agree. Not everyone is going to support everything we do. So what do we do with that? We trust God. There may be a day, ladies and gentlemen, where no one donates to Tennessee stands anymore or or whatever it is may happen. I, I understand that my influence, our influence, our ability to be in an organization rests on one thing, and it's this, that God allows it. Do you see where I'm going with this? This is the kind of attitude that we must have in the men and women that hold public office because these are the traps that we find ourselves in. I've I've talked about this ad nauseum on videos and other podcasts, the, the weight of special interest and the ability of those large, uh, some, some local, some state, many national special interest groups that are taking in money from places that are quite unsavory, by the way, but the kind of grip and hold they have on so many elected officials, why? If if you've gone to the tool that we've put out lately, the Tennessee Legislative Report Card, it's tnreportcard.org, go and search around at, at the various 132 legislators in Tennessee. We've calculated all of the campaign finance data. You'll see that on average, um, I'm, I'm trying to remember the 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 overall average. I think if you calculate all campaign contributions to the current 132 sitting members of our state legislature, 56% of those campaign contributions come from special interest. 56%. Now, when you break that down individually, you'll find some of them are, are at 30%, but some are at 80%, right? So you, you got to imagine what's going through their minds whenever you're petitioning them to defend liberty, to defend your rights, yet in their minds, perhaps the ability to be reelected 
or at least to finance that re-election, comes from another place. This is where we find ourselves on a multitude of levels. And it's, and it's not just dollars. It's committee appointments. It's the, the ability to wield influence. All of those things that I think truly at, 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 our, at the root are very human emotions. But what I'm asking you for, people, as we look into 2024 with where we are now, I'm asking for men and women of faith to lay all of that aside. And, and not only do we have to find hope, the hope that we have in Christ, but we have to exercise our faith. We have to Luke 19 this thing, y'all. Occupy, engage, do business. Regardless of what the personal outcome for us might be, if you know the thing that is right in front of you, and you know it's the right thing to do because, because you've waited against the scriptures, you've waited against that, you've waited against the heart of God, you've waited in prayer. Those are the things that matter. Not what might happen to your job or your business or your future political career or whether or not someone's going to continue to donate to you on a monthly basis if you happen to run a nonprofit organization. These are not the ways we can make decisions. This is actually how government entanglements happen. This is how federal dollars take hold of the things that we're trying to do in our own state. This is how the shackles get put on. You've heard this old saying, some of you, with shekels come shackles. That's why we advocate for as little federal money as possible. But that's hard to do in a state that currently, I believe, takes roughly 40% of its state budget, i.e. Tennessee, is federal money. Here's the deal. Here's where I want to close. We are indeed in a crisis. We're fighting on education. We're fighting on illegal immigration. We're fighting on medical freedom. We're fighting on elections. We're fighting on what's happening in Washington. We're fighting, I mean, we are fighting, we're fighting corporate welfare, right? We're fighting a a constitutional amendment that might allow the state of Tennessee to own private corporations. We're literally looking, right, to become China right here in Tennessee. So we know Okay, we can accept and acknowledge there are fights on every front. What I want to say to you as we come into this year is this. Do not lose hope. Men and women of faith, do not lose hope. Men and women of faith, the Constitution requires your action. Men and women of faith, God Almighty requires your action. Not just your prayer, right, which is which we need to do on a daily basis. Not just the waiting on the Lord, right? There are times for that. But make no mistake that Scripture demands, our Constitution demands, our form of government demands, our future demands, that you and I act to preserve the things that our founders, the brilliance of the form of governments that our founders put in place almost 250 years ago now. We must fight to preserve this, this thing we call America, this wonderful thing we have going right now in the state of Tennessee. It's up to you and I to do the work. That's the message for today. And uh, and look, 
in that, I want to I want to throw out another invitation. Um, you can go to tennesseestands.org slash freedom first. That's tennesseestands.org slash freedom first. And listen to everyone listening to this podcast, please, please go to tennesseestands.org slash freedom first. And I want you to buy a ticket. I, I don't care where you are in Tennessee. I want you to buy a ticket. And on February 3rd, I want you to get your butt down to Columbia, Tennessee in Murray County. It's, it's a wonderful place. We're going to have a good time. It's a Saturday. So many of you aren't working. Find some time off. Take take a wonderful day. Spend an evening in the, the great city. And in, in the, they call it Mule Town, right? In, in Mule Town, Tennessee, in Columbia, Tennessee. And come join us at a wonderful event space in, in Puckett's in downtown Columbia, February 3rd. TennesseeStands.org slash Freedom First. And come join us for our very first ever fundraising dinner for Tennessee Stands. We need you to be there. And I know you're going to go online, oh man, 150 bucks a ticket, that's so much. Well, number one, you're going to get a great meal. You're, you're going to be entertained. We're going to have wonderful uh, guest speakers. But this is a fundraiser, y'all. And we need your help. We need your support. But I want to I wanna set, set this up a little bit. We have a uh, our guest speaker, our keynote speaker for the evening is going to be uh, Steve Dace from the Steve Dace Show on Blaze TV. And let me tell you something. I've been following Steve Dace for a very long time. And I encourage you to, to go check out his podcast. It's the Steve Dace Show. That's D-E-A-C-E on Blaze TV. It's Glenn Beck's network. And uh, Steve is one of those men that, you know, if you know me, you know I don't pay attention to what's happening nationally a whole lot. I'm laser focused in the state of Tennessee. So sometimes I don't have a clue what's going on through Congress. I don't have a clue what's happening in the White House because I really care about what's happening here in our state. I'm focused. So Steve Dace is is my outlet. Steve Dace is my go-to to find out what's happening nationally. But the reason that I go to him is because I've not found anyone in the United States of America that so rightly addresses political discourse from a biblical worldview. That's just me personally. I don't believe anyone does that better. I don't believe anyone takes the current issue of the day and approaches it from a biblical perspective, but but in a in a political way, in a political discourse, better than Steve Dace. So I'm really excited. I feel we're very fortunate. I'm super thankful. I'm honored uh, to have Steve Dace as our keynote speaker. I believe that this will be an event. If you really care about our future, if you're really focused on what's happening in our state and you're concerned, this is an event that you don't want to miss. So again, I implore you, TennesseeStands.org slash freedom first. And please make plans. If, if I don't care if you're in Middle Tennessee, East Tennessee, West Tennessee, wherever you find yourself, make plans and join us on February 3rd. It's going to be a great event. I'm excited to have Steve Steve Dace with us. We'll have uh, legislators there, um, special guests, Senator Janice Bowling and Representative Brian Ritchie will be there sharing from the stage. I'm excited to have them join us. So come out. God bless you. Happy New Year. Uh, stay focused and stay engaged. Until next time. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit TennesseeStands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. 
As Thomas Paine reminded us, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it. <laughs>